Welcome to the podcast. I appreciate you for being here. Before we listen to my next guest, I want to ask that if you like the podcast, please subscribe to the channel and leave a positive review so we can grow this channel. I've been working really hard for you guys to grow by putting systems in place that bring on guests who are very valuable to you. And I'm just going to be honest, it hasn't been an easy ride. So I would certainly appreciate your support. Also, let me know your thoughts by texting me at 714-294-0269. Again, 714-294-0269. Zero two six nine. Last time, seven one four two nine four zero two six nine. To ask about details and to receive future podcasts directly to your cell phone. Let's continue with the podcast. Hi. Nice to meet you. You too. Thank you so much for being uh, patient and, and rescheduling with me. I appreciate it. Yeah, no worries. We both did it on each other, so. <laughs> yeah, technically, yeah. I, I don't even know who's who cancels at this point. I have I have so many meetings, but uh, but yeah. So what's going on? Oh, just Monday. It's uh, raining again here in Atlanta, which has been a common theme. Okay. <laughs> Definitely. Um, is is Atlanta? How is weather in Atlanta usually? It's horrible. <laughs> wow. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it's. I come from Southern California. You're you're in Southern California, correct? Uh huh. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. Come from San Diego, so obviously I'm a little bit spoiled. Uh-huh. Um, there's weather here. I mean, it yeah. rains. It gets cold enough for people to freak out about potential ice storms. It gets super hot in the summer, where you feel like you're just sweating profusely. Um, yeah, it's it's not ideal. It's just it's weather. You know, it doesn't snow though, so. Absolutely. Um, I think, uh, yeah, we're a little spoiled in California. So yeah, I miss it. it? Do you miss it though? Oh yeah. We try to make it back at least once a quarter has been what me and my husband tell each other. (laughs) We're going to get back. Um, Yeah. yeah, I miss it for sure. That's great. Okay, cool. So uh, thank you for doing this podcast with me. Uh, So for the audience, uh, this is Kristen. She's a serial entrepreneur. Am I correct in saying that? Okay. Yeah. Uh, you have an extensive experience. So do you want to start from the be- very beginning when you started your first company? Uh, was that First Look? Yeah, it kind of merged into First Look Approval. So um, my entrepreneurial journey started through a brokerage firm called Bounce Back Finance. And so this was a, a group of people that would work with businesses to offer their customers financing. So let me just start by saying what consumer finance is because you say consumer finance and people look at you like you're, you've got three heads, but it's actually part of our everyday lives. Yeah. Um, so the most uh, known about form of consumer finance is you go to buy a couch and they offer you some sort of loan to get the nicer couch that you want to offer. So you typically have a product or service that you're offering as a business that costs over $1,000 and it makes sense to offer your customers a way to pay for that either a credit card or a loan. And so that is the business of consumer finance. And how I got started is we would go into the businesses, teach them how to use financing as a sales tactic. So having more people say yes, um, teach them how to use different financing platforms and then be able to offer some sort of credit at the point of sale. So a credit card or a loan. Got it. Got it. So you said offer finance as a sales tactic. How is that used as a sales tactic? Because if you have a product or service that costs over $1,000, sometimes um, people can't afford that. So being able to offer a different um, 
solutions oh, for it would enable people to say yes more often than no. Got it. Got it. Okay. That makes sense. Um, okay. And then, uh, and what did you learn in that experience? What, uh, what did you take away from it? So through that experience, I learned that I was creating a problem, right? So I said I would teach them how to use multiple financing programs. So the conversation that I would teach the businesses to say is, hey, Frank, what's your credit like? Do you have good credit, bad credit? And in reality, most people don't know where they stand. And so they're like, my credit's great or my credit's bad. Um, so they would have to guess. I gave them a little info chart to show, okay, if they have good credit, use this program. They're not sure, use this one. And then really bad credit, you want to use this program. Um, but they're putting it in blindly. They go through, put an application into the system. And if they get a decline, then they're kind of working backwards from that sale. So sorry, you didn't get approved for that. I've got this other program. It just has slightly worse rates than I sold you before. And so in trying to help businesses gain more sales by offering creative ways to pay for their product or service, we were actually creating a problem where it was a really clunky conversation. And if that person ends up getting declined, they may not move forward with the sale at all because that's pretty embarrassing. So it was through that problem that we decided to raise money oh. and Go ahead. <laughs> uh, sorry, sorry, I cut you off there. Um, but uh, did you have a, a thought to finish? I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. <laughs> All right. Um, okay. So what you were doing was you were helping, uh, was there, what, at what point did you, if there was a higher end product, um, what terms were you providing these customers and how were you using that? Like what, what, what point what was the perfect moment to bring up financing? In typically towards the end of the sale and it's going to vary in different industries as well. So a lot of times it would be that conversation around costs. So I'm a contractor I'm in your home. We're talking about a new roof. This is my estimate. This is how much the job's going to cost. How do you want to pay for that? So instead of saying, how do you want to pay for that? It's more, would you like to get a loan to pay for that? Or did you want to pay cash? Got it. So you just provide the option right up front. Right up front. Yes. Got it. Okay, cool. All right. And that helped a lot with regards to, to generating more sales, Correct. Uh, which is awesome. Okay. Um, okay, cool. And then uh, you also had a stint at... Uh, uh, lending point. How does what what happened there? So um, you talked about first look approval. So that was what we created more of a consulting. We would match businesses up with different financing platforms, and then when we realized that there was a problem, there was no one solution for varying degrees of credit. We decided to start Loan Hero, and ended up raising 400k in angel funding, and built our own platform. And Lending Point came in about four and a half years later after starting Loan Hero, they acquired our platform as a different way to reach customers for them. Okay. And uh, wow. Okay. So tell me about your experience with, with VCs. What, what was that like? Was that very difficult? Was it, did you feel? I fell on my face a lot. <laughs> really? So yeah, and I talk a lot, I, I coach um, startup founders now. And so I, I usually go after, hi, I made all these mistakes, please don't make the same ones. And a lot of that is around how we raise money for Loan Hero. Um, so my first learning and what I share with a lot of people of what we did incorrectly was wait for a desperate time to raise money. Mm. So then you get the worst, the worst investors if you do that. 
Exactly. Yeah. And so you're not, not always getting the best deal. Um, so here we were having this consulting business and realized that there was no platform that really had multiple lenders with one user experience. It was causing a lot of friction. And so we wanted to build it ourselves and having no startup background at all, um, just Googled investors in San Francisco, <laughs> Googled what's a pitch deck. Oh my gosh. Um, Google no. valuation, just That's like awesome. really totally green, just didn't know what we were doing. And it just, we were really lucky to find a group of angel investors in San Diego who are invested in a similar model, um, but with business loans. And so the way that we ended up getting the um, investment was the synergies between that. So we wanted to build a platform, but for the consumer side of lending, where they were building a platform with another company on the business side of lending. So because there were those synergies, they said, you guys have a lot of experience because of all the consulting you've been doing in this space. We'll invest in you, but you really have nothing of value. So it's really not having anything, trying to raise money and convince the group of investors that you were the right one to build it. So like, what was that a contentious relationship moving forward? Like, can you talk a little bit about that? It was, it was a, I, it was a good learning experience. Um, I think that if, <laughs> if I were to have done it again, we would have had at least some kind of mock-up of the platform we wanted to build, some kind of clickable wireframes rather than just like, here's my doodles of what the platform should look like. Um, because when a company goes and seeks investment, it's really, what's your traction? What have you done? What do you have right now? We really had nothing. And so when it came to the valuation of the company and setting off the right foot for the business to succeed, we were kind of starting at a low point because we really didn't have anything other than our knowledge of where we've been through the consulting. Got it. And so, um, okay. And then through that experience, uh, what did you take away? What was the, the biggest uh, growth insight that you achieved through that experience? Work with investors who understand your business model. Okay. So, okay. So you, you do a lot of people work with investors that don't understand the business model and some they try to change yeah. it. Yeah. It's more, some people raise money and are really excited about the opportunity for someone to write them a check where they're not, it's, it's a two way street, right? So just like a job interview, you go into a job interview, a lot of people want to impress the employer, but it should be a two way street. You want to make sure the employer is a good match for you. Same thing happens in venture funding. I need to succeed and raise money so I can build and scale my business. I'm going to try to seek the money. You try to impress the investor, but a lot of times you're not also making sure that investor is a good fit for you. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And so um, I felt like we were force feeding our model to some of the investors that we had worked with, where it ended up us convincing them that it was a good business model versus them understanding the value and then helping us succeed. It was like you, it was a, you had to sell them throughout the process. Like it wasn't just a sale at the very beginning. It was like, no, this is how we're doing it. This is how it works. Yeah. You know? So can you tell me about a moment like where you, you were trying to explain something to an investor, but they were like, they were just not getting it? Yeah, I mean, there's a common theme around in point of sale finance, consumer finance, whatever you want to call it, there's an idea about 0% interest. So with the example that I used in the beginning of the furniture store, a lot of times when you're being offered some kind of credit card or a form of loan to pay for that couch, 
they're going to give you a period of time where if you pay back that loan, you don't pay any interest. Mm. So it's zero percent, same as cash, interest-free financing. There's a lot of different ways that it's marketed. And so that was one of those moments where the investors didn't understand the financials behind how that model worked, where we had to explain and walk them through the modeling of how you basically get your money back. So how do you, how would somebody get their money back? Like walk me through this. Cause yeah. So I see, I hear 0% financing and I, I, I hear make no money. <laughs> it's, it's the nature of the game. A lot of people pay it off on time. A lot of people don't. So if you get paid it off on time, you kind of consider that a loss for the people that don't pay that on time. You are charging interest for the course of when they did have the financing. So, oh, okay. So because you're charging a little bit higher of an interest rate, if they took that zero and then ended up not paying it off and continued at that higher rate, you're making up on the margin for that oh. higher rate because that was the penalty of not paying it off for the zero. That makes sense. That makes confusing. Sense. That's why it's so hard to explain. <laughs> it's a little risky though. Do you think, or like, cause what if, so you would have to almost bank on the fact that you would have responsible low credit borrowers because then uh, they would pay off and they would have a higher interest rate normally cause they don't normally pay stuff off. Yeah. So you would have to depend on that pretty much. So then, then you would lend to more uh, low credit borrowers. I don't want to say that. <laughs> I mean, we did have risk-based credit models. We would, we did evaluate everyone um, it. correctly. Got it's it. just, it's called a bust. Actually, there's a, a term for it in the industry. Interesting. Yeah. But could you have gotten anyone approved if you wanted to? No, definitely no. not. Definitely not. No. Yeah. Okay. okay, cool. There's some lenders that are out there that say that, but those are also people that are lending at 180% interest rate when you look at it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's horrible. We want to have been a hero. <laughs> in that yeah. It seems like you get in trouble with the SEC if you, if you scaled that to a level that uh, got so big that it started becoming noticeable. That's one of the agencies that are going to be knocking on your door, but there's much, there's many more. <laughs> really? Yeah. Yeah. Highly regu regulated industry. Yeah. Yeah. Highly regulated. Um, interesting. Okay. And then, um, and then when did you exit that company and, and, uh, and what was that like? So that was in January of 2018 that our company was sold to lending point. And that was a pretty interesting situation. Um, and my insights around that is as a startup founder, a lot of people are always asking, what's your exit strategy? You know, where is this going? What are your plans down the road? And a lot of startup founders are saying acquisition or IPO, you know, like that's the, that's the end goal, but actually going through an acquisition, it made me realize that selling your company is selling your company where you don't really think about that. So spent four and a half years building a company from scratch. It was my baby. Um, and then you sell it and it's no longer yours. Um, what was that, what was that experience like? What was that experience like having to sell your baby? Pretty much. It took two years for me to recover. <laughs> really? It was really difficult. Yeah, I always say I want to wow. form a support group of founders who have gone through an acquisition. Um, I think more often than not, it's really, it's that, that feeling of it being your baby. It's like the analogy that worked for me when I was going through this and someone was like, well, it's kind of like 
you raise a dog and then you give your dog away and then that person's raising the dog the way that they want to. So you didn't let the dog on the couch. Now this person's letting the dog on the couch. It's their dog now. They can do no, whatever they want with it. You know? So same with the business. You, They could be making decisions or trying things that you've tried in the past that you don't necessarily agree with. But at the end of the day, it's not your business. It's not your say anymore. So not having that control or being involved in the strategy of the business after the fact was was difficult. Mm. So it took you two years to recover. Yeah. Were you just like, like these people are doing it are so wrong. <laughs> well, I don't want to. I don't want to be quoted in saying that. Um, yeah, yeah, there yeah. was there was a. It wasn't a good fit in the end. Um, so I decided to part ways and. I just ended up traveling in my RV with my husband and my dogs for a little bit just to kind of level set, find myself, um, nice. recuperate from the experience. Yeah. But I'm sure you had, um, you know, a nest egg a little bit and you could, you could, you had the, um, the privilege of doing that. And I was uh, really, I was really lucky in having some time that I could take away. I don't think everyone's as lucky as that. That's true. Um, and it was definitely needed. I definitely, valued the time a lot, um, taught myself how to sew, to knit, um, tried video editing. I mean, I just kind of tried to fill my voids with creative, uh, new activities. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think, uh, uh, recovering from that, I mean, not many people understand that, but, uh, I'm sure you have more insights than most regarding, you know, just recovering from like, Cause it's like, it's your whole life, you know? Yeah. You're giving up. Um, blood, sweat and tears. Yeah. Yeah. It's like your blood, sweat and tears. You spent years and years and 16 hour days, I'm sure like, or whatever the case may be trying to make it work. And then it finally starts working and then <laughs> you sell it. Um, so then did you want to start another business after that? I do want to start another business in the future. Um, I am a big believer in that to have a successful business, you have to intimately understand the problem, be solving a real problem, and yes. be the person to solve yes. that problem. So in the case with Lone Hero, because of the consulting, I was in the shoes of that business, having to work through different financing programs, having that awkward conversation with some of their customers where I felt that clunkiness of having these multiple platforms and so because of my experience I feel like our team was the right group to solve that problem and the platform that we created was in my opinion amazing um, and so I don't know if I have that answer now as to what problem I'm gonna solve next but certainly in the spot that I'm in now um, I'm definitely have my ears and eyes wide open Do you have an idea of, of what you would start like I do love fintech. So um, being able to help people understand how financing affects them, I think is something that I'm drawn to. So with Loan Hero, I was passionate about it because I felt very close to the problem and I felt really good about the solution. But at the end of the day, when I look at it, I felt like I was just offering another way for people to get into debt maybe they shouldn't be buying that nice couch. Maybe they shouldn't be going through with that medical procedure. And so I always kind of had this push and pull of, I love what I'm doing, but at the same time, am I helping people? And so the next wave of what I do with my future and a company that I create would really like to bring in some learnings 
some financial awareness, how yeah. to manage your finances, how to make it work for you more. So, so you want to, you want to be in the finance arena. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, definitely, uh, so having a social impact makes a big difference. Um, so I, I would say like what has a, a huge social impact are like, you know, financial literacy, obviously, um, you know, medical devices potentially, uh, I guess in some sense, but, um, okay. So, so now you're in entrepreneur residence at ATDC. Um, can you tell me, can you tell me a little bit about that? Are you training entrepreneurs? Are you helping them with their pitch decks and things like that? Yeah, I'm doing it all. Um, so ATDC is the advanced technology development center. So it's actually state funded by Georgia and it's run under the umbrella of Georgia Tech. And so as an entrepreneur in residence, my primary goal is to coach our startups in our portfolio, um, which ranges how I help people. Uh, sometimes I'm a therapist. We talk through issues on their board, issues with hiring, finding the right person, or connecting them to resources. Um, other times I'm deep into the strategy, going through the pitch decks, coming up with new ideas, so on and so forth. What, what are, so you're mentoring them throughout, through the process. What are like the, the main sticking points that you're seeing most entrepreneurs go through trying to get investors? It's really articulating the problem and then having the right solution. So product market fit, I think is a really big theme. Product, product market fit. Do you feel like too many people become too romantic about their product? 100%. You think so? 100%. And, and you think that's the, the number one reason why they fail? It's one of the reasons they fail. I think the number one reason that a lot of startups fail is running out of money. Um, so not raising enough or spending it in the wrong places or pivoting too late in the game, but definitely um, not understanding the problem or having the correct solution is a big part of that. So one thing that we teach a lot of our companies to do early on is go through customer discovery, discovery which it's really asking the right questions. So sometimes entrepreneurs, like you said, are just so excited about their solution, what they're doing when they're having conversations with potential users or picking their brain about the problem. They tend to be selling their solution while asking the questions to understand the problem, where you really should be taking your solution out of it and be asking broader questions to understand the problem, ignoring what your solution is. So. Um, asking the question, tell me about when you run into this problem, for example, instead of saying, hey, wouldn't it be really cool if you had this tool, if that makes sense. Yeah, it, make, it, it, really it definitely makes questions. sense. It's more like, you know, when you have a flat tire, you know, provide the uh, spare tire as opposed to like saying, hey, trying to get everyone on, uh, to buy a spare tire that doesn't really need it at the moment. Is that kind of... That's a great analogy. Sure. Oh, okay. yeah. yeah. So, um, so it's interesting. So how, how would you walk them through that process? So we actually have a class uh, that they go through and I've taken it too. It's called customer discovery and it, there's a really good resource out there called the mom test and it's really asking the right questions. So it's just really understanding that problem that you're solving and asking questions to figure out, are you solving that problem or is there a problem that you don't even know about? Because often you think that you know the problem, you think you have the solution, but in talking with people about that problem, you may learn that there's certain areas that are more important than others. Got it. Can you give an example of that? 
would be a good example of that. Um, I can use the example from the mom test. <laughs> so there's a little video, it's really cute, but it goes through this girl who wants to build an app for cooking, cook, cookbook app. She goes to her mom, she goes, here mom, look at this iPad, isn't this really cool, this app right here, and you can look at your recipes on the app, and it's just right there, and you can go through and search digitally, and she goes, yes honey, that's great. Validation, I should build an app around cookbooks. Well, when they actually peel it back and start asking questions without notifying of the solution, her questions are more like, how do you find new recipes? Oh, that cookbook over there. Okay, great. I see you have an iPad right there. What do you use that for? Oh, nothing really. I don't really like to use it. So what they're uncovering is, there's no problem there. Her mom uses the cookbook, it's on her shelf. She doesn't look digitally, and then she doesn't use the iPad. So it's kind of a way to look at it. Interesting, interesting. So you have to dig a little deeper. You have to do some, some analyses and dig a little deeper. It's um, kind of like the rule of thumb of talk less, listen more. I mean, yeah. you can apply that to a lot of areas of your life. Same with customer discovery. You want the person that you're talking to to talk more than you're talking. So. Is there an example you can cite that uh, is a clear example of someone who's too romantic about their particular product and they just weren't selling enough because they were too romantic about it and they weren't really solving like the need that needed to be solved or that needed to be discovered? Oh, there's so many examples of that. It's hard to just pick one. I mean, I see tons of business models that it's a great, nice to have idea, but when it comes down to it, people won't pay for it yeah sense like yeah that would be nice to have but i'm not going to go out and pay for an app to solve that problem or uncovering that it's not a problem at all so it's it, so you you shouldn't sell nice to have products or services you should only sell like i need it right now type of services that's my opinion <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, there, and it's a difference too i mean there's there's the, the notion of like uh, lifetime businesses, like lifestyle businesses and actual scalable businesses. There's nothing wrong with either one, but if you want to build a scalable business, you have to be solving a true problem and it can't be a nice to but have. Then what does what the iPhone solve? Because like it, it's so, like you can get like just a regular flip phone that talks like, so it's not, it doesn't really solve um, talking to, to uh, communicating with other people. Why do people want the, it doesn't seem like a necessary thing to have. IPhone. An iPhone? It's the yeah. brand. It's the prestige. It's I have an iPhone. I have a Samsung. No. So then, so then, if you don't have <laughs> a ne uh, if you don't have a, ne a necessary to use item or service or product at the moment it it's uh, it's um, comes into contact with a customer, then you're saying the next option after that is brand. Build a strong brand, and yeah. you'll, you'll likely sell. But then, how? It's so difficult though. If you don't go it's like what do you go for first you know um do you go for like the strong need in the marketplace or do you go for i'm gonna do a build a big brand i've i've built a brand you know on linkedin and it's definitely helped me a lot um but what are your thoughts on that like i think they're just different business models I'm, I'm, I'm coming from the lens of financial technology. That's my background. Right. Scalable right. businesses, right? Right, right, right. You're coming from um, building a, a brand. I mean, it's just, it's, they're different. So 
in my realm of scalable technology, you have to be solving a true problem to stand out from any competitors or other people that are, are using yeah. it. You don't want to be a similar to or a lookalike or you know just a reskinned solution. Now, when you get into other aspects or other verticals, it's a little bit different. I think that other avenues are going to be more heavy on the brand. So direct to consumer brands, you have to have a strong brand there, right? <laughs> Yeah, has there been has there ever been a moment where you had to tell somebody that you were you know helping that they shouldn't run their business? Maybe they should hand it off to someone else that, that can run the business. Or have you ever had to have a tough conversation like that? I have. Okay. Um, I don't want you to name names, but let's just let's make up a business in an industry that uh, uh, that doesn't relate to the, the example that um, you have. But can you tell me how like the conversation, so, so let's say I come to you and I'm like, hey, you know, Kristen, I, I really need, uh, you know, I'm really trying to sell this you know, product and, or service. And I'm really trying to get this off the ground. Um, it's just not selling the way it needs to be sold. What, what would you, how, would, how did that conversation go? So how I've done that in the past is I ask a lot of questions. So ask and then listen. So I'll, I'll start poking holes into the business and have them think about the answers. So how is that going to make money? How are you going to get customers? Um, are you going to require any partnerships? What kind of partnerships would you need? Um, have you done any partnerships like that before? Have you thought about this? I mean, it's, it's hard to pinpoint an example. It's just, I don't straight out say, hi, your idea really sucks. I think that you should reconsider what you're doing with your life kind of conversation. Yeah. It's more of helping them think about the kind of questions that they're going to get if they're going to raise money. What kind of questions are investors going to ask them? Have you ever like have you ever been uh, come across an example where it's like it was so dire and they just had no chance and you're like wow, like there's so many holes in what you're trying to accomplish that it's just it just looks really really bad. Like yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um. I really wanted you to tell me an ex is, okay. So let's, okay. Let's, let's talk about, okay. How much in revenue should, should a company be making after like three years before they call it quits uh, or before they continue moving forward with their company? Like, is there a revenue amount that you would say like makes sense to most people uh, that they would have to make for them to support them, their business and their lifestyle? Um, or, or they should quit. Like, is there, is there like a kind of a, a demarcation line? There's no one size fits all answer to that question yeah. <laughs> because it can mean different, different things to different people. You know, like I was talking about a lifestyle business versus a scalable business. If you're making enough money to pay your bills and you enjoy what you're doing, there's no problem in doing that. Um, but on the flip side, if you are involved in the business and you're spending $12,000 a month of your own money, month and month over, and you're getting no traction, getting no customers, I would then really take a look at what you're doing to see if that is the right path for you. So, I mean, it really, it comes down to how much time do you have? How much money do you have? And are you happy doing what you're doing? I think it, it's it's not a one size fits all. You think all. it's most important that people just are happy with what they're doing as opposed to how much money they're making? Like, do you think it's just different for every person? 
I think it's different for every person. I mean, I've been on both sides. I've been heads down working on a startup, super broke, depressed, realizing that I had no work-life balance to recognizing for me individually as Kristen, it's very important for me to separate the two and to carve out time for myself personally and yeah. not, not be like such a, I'm working 24 seven that I eat, breathe and sleep my business. Yeah. Um, but other people really thrive on that and they don't need that personal time. So again, it kind of comes into that. Yeah. Yeah. Preference. That's so true. Uh, so, okay. Let's say Kristen tomorrow you start a business, um, you know, and you find a strong need in the marketplace in three years, what would you like to see regarding revenue based on your industry for it to make sense for you personally? I would want to be profitable. You would want to be profitable. Just profitable. My, my goal is with my next company, that I raise as little money as possible yeah. to reach the amount of scale that I need and to be profitable as soon as possible. Got it. Got it. And, and that's just from my personal experience of raising money when I'm desperate, getting really bad valuations. Um, and then, and then working with people that you don't really want to work with, like just people that just have bad personalities or like just hard, hard to deal with maybe. Yeah. That could be a factor of that. Yeah. You're going to run into that all the time. So, I mean, no matter where you are, you may work with someone that may not be the the best um, fit for you, but it's just how you handle that and navigate it. So when do you plan on starting this business? When do you plan? <laughs> <laughs> I um, am happy where I am right now. I'm actually uh, officially, unofficially taking over the FinTech vertical here at ATDC. So mm-hmm. I'm going to be involved a little bit more into the Atlanta fintech ecosystem, which is really exciting. Nice. Um, but I may have some ideas brewing in my mind that I'm doing some customer discovery on. Um, so it just depends on how things pan out. Customer discovery. I like that. I like yeah. that. So what I've learned from this is, yeah, look at your customers, adjust based on what their feedback is. Have you ever done events? Uh, I've done tons of events. What, what, uh, realm are you, are you referring to? I'm I'm doing a venture conference in July. Okay. Um, and, uh, it's our first venture conference and, uh, we have tickets sold. I think I, I I would, I would, uh, uh, attribute our, some of our success to our sales process and not necessarily a proven concept. It's more just our sales process is really good, (laughs) you know? Um, but, uh, have you, how many venture conferences have you been to? Not many, actually. Um, I've been to a handful with Lone Hero. So Finovate was one that I'd gone to. Uh, I'm actually involved. We have a conference here called FinTech South that I'm involved in the planning committee. So not just being an attendee, I'm actually on the, the planning committee to come up with the content. So that's been kind of looking at it at a different lens. But um, I've been to a couple here and there, but it hasn't been like my bread and butter. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what are your thoughts on venture conferences? Like obviously you haven't, you know, uh, really gone to a lot of them, but like, you know, does it solve a need in your opinion? Um, so venture conference, I'm a company wanting to meet investors. Yeah. So, so like a venture conference, like, so I'm having a venture conference and we'll have like 300 investors in the room, uh, and around 200 companies. I think that solves a tremendous need. But I want to kind of get because you've been more in the space than I have. And yeah. I want to get your your thoughts on it. I think it's a good way to, if you have any kind of like speed dating. Yeah. 
intertwined there or even just trying to meet the right person. So a lot of times it's trying to figure out who that contact person is or being able to network. So you've got everyone in the same place. Uh, it makes it a hell of a lot easier to try to figure out who to talk to because they're actually there. Um, Absolutely. So that definitely helps for sure. I mean, I think every person struggles with where to find money and what that money, like what's the best match for me and what I'm looking for. And so if you have a big group that you potentially get introduced to, it kind of helps you establish that quicker. I love it. I love it. Okay, cool. So if somebody wants to get a hold of you, wants to get in touch with you, how would they do so? And uh, yeah, this is like the promotion segment of this podcast. So if you want to say anything about what you want for your business or what you want for what you're trying to accomplish, mention it. Yeah, LinkedIn. I'm very heavily active on LinkedIn. Anything fintech entrepreneur, female entrepreneurs, social impact, um, that's probably the best place. I would say Instagram's more personal. So if you really like cute dogs, Kristen's link on Instagram, you're going to get a, a load of that. Um, and then just stay in touch on the future of see what uh, great new company you come up with. Awesome. 